Yeah, I would say to me, like the impact that we as designers can have um, is to relentlessly sort of be the voice of the users and get other disciplines thinking in the same way. But but it's hard because, you know, I think to me, design thinking is not really a process so much as a mindset. Welcome to Design Drives, your audio experience about what, how, and why design drives things forward. A podcast hosted by Sebastian Gear, together with forward-thinking design practitioners from around the world. Enjoy the episode. This episode, we talk with Siri Johansson, a designer that got excellent knowledge and experiences in both physical and digital design, building up on her knowledge working in consultancies like IDEO and her new in-house role at Spotify. We talk about the intersection of industrial and interaction design, her inspiring journey, and where she sees design is going both on an overall level and in the design process of future entertainment services. One of my absolute favorite episodes so far. I think there's tons of knowledge and value to get out of this. Enjoy. Hi, Ciro. Thanks for making time. Hi, thanks for having me on your show. <laughs> Maybe as the first question, um, how often do people make a joke about your first name since Apple released their uh, smart assistant. Uh, yeah, um, less and less, I will say. Um, it was um, it was difficult there for a couple of years, but um, <laughs> it's like kind of slowly dying dying off. But it's it's turning into it's quite a convenient thing actually because nowadays people know how to spell my name, whereas before I just had to, kind of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a lot of explanation, and and now I just can kind of refer to the iPhone and everyone knows. Yeah. Uh, maybe you can tell a little bit about where you studied and um, your background. All right. Um, well, uh, I started as an industrial designer. So I, I went to school for industrial design um, in Stockholm uh, at a school called Konstvak. And I also did an exchange semester um, at a school called Arts Center, which is based in Pasadena um, in outside of LA. Um, and as I was kind of finishing my thesis, my bachelor thesis, um, I, I did apply to the advanced product design masters in Umeå and thought that I would kind of continue with my studies. But then I landed this job in Stockholm and then I decided to go with that instead. So I had a bit of a gap there between doing my bachelor's and then going on to do my master's. Um, mm-hmm. But then, you know, I worked for about three years in, in industrial design and then I applied again to Umeå. Um, but this time I actually uh, went for the interaction design program instead of continuing on with with product design mm-hmm. and um, you also went to art center you, you went uh, stockholm and then uh, at uad maybe you can tell a little bit about the, the differences from these um, education programs right yeah um i'll say so so construct is the biggest um, arts school in, in stockholm and in sweden so um because it's primarily an art school i would say um, you do get more of a diverse set of inspiration from other coming from other design and art disciplines, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're surrounded by people who are doing completely different things than your yourself. Uh, whereas I would say that both Art Center and Umeå they have a completely different type of focus, and that was one of the reasons I wanted to go to Art Center. Actually, being in um, being at Construct was that to get that. Um, focus for a semester of just like drilling down and, and really owning in on the skills necessary to do uh, sort of product design. Um, but yeah, uh, I would say that both have their advantages. I mean, Umeå is an amazing environment as well, but it's definitely very much about emerging yourself in, in 
the world of industrial design and, and, and interaction design and, and just kind of focusing on that. Whereas, yeah, an art school can be um, a lot more than that, right? You get more, mm -hmm. more kind of influences. Mm -hmm. There's a great talk from you on, uh, you spoke at UX Tattoo. And they gave uh, also, I think, um, great points about the intersection of industrial and interaction design. Also, your motivation, maybe you can outline that a little bit about um, your motivation going into um, interaction design, actually. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think, as I mentioned, um, I, I thought that I would continue doing a, a sort of physical product design master's. And then I, um, after having worked for a few years, I, I instead decided to go into interaction design. Um, And I think, well, part of the reason for that was that a lot of the industrial design projects that I'd worked on, um, they were very much kind of locked down from the beginning. Um, we were brought in on projects quite um, late on. And so I wanted to get in earlier, right? I wanted to work more on the strategic mm -hmm. bits. Um, and yeah, and, and you know, um, a lot of things have already been decided once the designers are brought in on, on sort of classic industrial design projects, I would say. You kind of... Um, you kind of know that it's a hammer that you're going to be designing. You're not going to be like changing, uh, <laughs> uh, changing that brief dramatically and decide, no, we're going to actually, we're going to make a, a saw instead of a <laughs> hammer. You know, no, it's going to stay a hammer. Um, whereas with, in that, when, with interaction design, um, that initial brief is, uh, I would say a lot of the time, much more open for discussion, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, and I also felt that interaction design was, sort of where things were happening um, at the time. So this is, uh, this is about eight years ago now uh, that I started thinking about sort of changing over to interaction design. And, and there was just, you know, interaction design just felt like it was the sort of forefront in design at the time. And like, that was where things were happening. Um, and I, I felt like I lacked the skills, to be honest, you know, to, to actually work on those challenges. Uh, with the, I was working at this like really small but mighty design firm in Stockholm, and mm -hmm. uh, increasingly, like the the products that came through the door, they had aspects of interaction design in them, even though they were industrial design projects. Mm -hmm. You know, there would be there would be a display uh, on something, or we would work on, you know, a, a phone, and then we, you know, we would do some of the bits that had interaction. Um, relate like you know the interaction related bits to it um, and so I, I didn't really feel like I was equipped to uh, to take on those kind of challenges you know to prototype for for screen-based interactions for mm -hmm. example mm -hmm. interesting I think this aspect about a more open design brief is maybe something that um, also others uh, maybe industrial designers have as a motivation when they go into maybe more of an interaction design uh, mm -hmm. direction um, for sure And um, after that, you you know quite, got quite different experience. We can go to some of them, um, maybe uh, first to your experience at local projects in um, New York. Right. Um, so so local projects was really one of the first um, shorter um, stints that I did as an interaction designer. Um, mm -hmm. I went there over summer after my first year in Umeå, um, and really what I was looking for and what I was kind of planning on doing with you know that move into interaction design was to combine those two sets of skills uh, and to work on um, sort of projects that merged um, media and physical design and that's really what local projects do so uh, for those who don't know anything about them um, local projects is a, a sort of media and physical design firm 
that do experiences. So uh, they worked on things like the 9-11 Memorial, um, the Cooper Hewitt Design Museum, and so on. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're based out of New York and they do a lot of their work in, in the US, right? Um, but they don't just design, they also kind of produce the exhibits uh, that they work on. So um, that was the first time that I was in a, in a more production type environment. You know, I'd only sort of seen the world of extruded aluminum and sort of injection molded <laughs> plastics before when it came to uh, production. Um, and with local projects, really what I got some exposure to was just understanding all the parts that needed to come together to create these mm -hmm. um, media experiences that they, they do. Um, so I found that very fascinating. Uh, I was very interested in, in sort of designing for um, sort of public space and, and exhibits and so on as well, mm -hmm. which is what they do. But then it was also, you know, that was my first exposure to American work culture. <laughs> uh, and that can always be like a bit of a shock for Europeans. Uh, it's definitely a lot tougher than, than Swedish work culture. So, yeah. <laughs> How do you see the role of design in these interactive exhibition media projects? Do you think it's a sort of classic interaction design process or how would you compare it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think I, I don't do that, that kind of work anymore, but I have friends who do, um, who work on exhibition design. Um, and I think what's, what's compelling about that is that it, it really is experience first. Uh, and so it very much starts from, from a design perspective of thinking what the experience will be like going through uh, an exhibition, for example, or, or, or some kind of event, right? Um, so it's very easy. Yeah, so more like a servicing project, right? Yeah, very much so. You know, you think about, uh, you know, what are you going to uh, come in with? What's the expectations of people? Mm -hmm. uh, what are they going to, what do you want them to take away? Um, I mean, I did some of this um, line of work later on as well when I worked at IDEO. So um, it's very much, it's very interesting in that sense that you kind of, you own the complete experience um, and and you can kind of, you can steer it very much, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what's really compelling about it. Yeah, so you steer the user experience throughout the exhibition visitor journey, right? Um, did you map the journey out and did you think about the touch points and what each touch point should communicate to the visitor? Yeah. I mean, and now I'm talking just from my general experience of, of exhibition design, but it, yeah, you very much do that. You kind of go through... Mm -hmm. um, you think you think about it as like you set the stage and, and you're the director, right? And you have an audience coming in. Um, so it becomes much more of a, um, mm -hmm. much more of like putting on a show, <laughs> which is not really, you know, it's, it's kind of what you do all the time in design. It just becomes very, yeah. um, very pronounced and very, um, um, sort of very, very strong when it comes to exhibition mm -hmm. design. But I do think you have that you have that kind of staging aspect, whatever design project you're working on, right? Um, and you you are kind of directing this experience at all times. Mm, true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it becomes much um, more sort of uh, much 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 stronger when it comes to um, uh, exhibition design. Yeah, interesting that you describe it as a service design project. Um, it's maybe less of a you know, functional driven service. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe more about what you communicate uh, and how do you inform the visitor on each touch point? I mean, which is also sort of a function, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, depends on depends on how you think about function as well, because I, um, I've worked on exhibition projects uh, while at IDEO where there was like a very pronounced, um, you know, message that you mm -hmm. that um, that the client wanted to get across. You know, mm -hmm. we want the we want visitors to come away with 
a sense of empathy, for example, for this particular group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your job becomes, it becomes very functional in a sense. Like you, you go in with the same, um, same approach as when you, you know, you're trying to, um, to design like a more traditional mm-hmm. product um, that you're, you know, yeah. trying to like push, push this message in different ways. But then it becomes much more about a cognitive challenge. You, you're designing for the mind instead of the hand. Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, a lot of the times yeah, yeah exactly um so after that you worked at multiple uh ideal studios maybe um i think what would maybe interesting to talk about maybe a little bit about the cultural differences between the different um locations mm-hmm. right yeah i mean i i already i think i already skipped ahead and, and mentioned um some some of the work we did there but um yes yeah, so i was based um um, first in the Bay Area, uh, doing some time in internships there, and then I, I after graduating, moved all over to the London studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say the the idea culture is incredibly strong. So, you know, idea puts a lot of effort into building this great work culture, uh, which mm-hmm. you understand when you go and work there that yeah. it's not it doesn't just happen by accident. Um, there's there's actually people making making it happen. Um, and I would say that means that you. You do feel at home when you step into a studio in another location other than one, the one you're based in, you know, um, because mm-hmm. there is that sort of general um, idea culture. Um, but that said, I think there's definitely like a local flavor as well as you move between, you know, both cities and, and continents. Um, I, for example, I made I made really great, great friends in both locations that I worked. But I would say the difference is that. Uh, what you sort of head off to do together with your colleagues after after work or on the weekend um because in the you know in the bay area um i don't know if you've been but you know it's yeah. a very it's a very outdoorsy place like people go off to do cycling and hiking together um it's all about you know when you talk together on on fridays about what you're going to do over the weekend it's always about leaving the city of San Francisco to go outside to do something. Mm-hmm. Whereas in London, it's much more about, you know, heading down to the pub in the corner after work. <laughs> yeah, you can't escape. You can't escape the pub, right? So I think Bay Area is much better for your waistline. <laughs> But I think London has um, worked better, at least for my personality. Um, mm-hmm. Because the Bay Area, <laughs> it just suffers from this excruciating optimism, which is also, what I guess, why... Um, so many successful companies come out of the Bay Area, but all that optimism can be a bit hard to handle sometimes for cynical Scandinavians like myself. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. um, maybe you can talk a little bit about the projects you worked at Adio. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, like I mentioned, I um, I did some exhibition projects, uh, which were great. Um, I have, let's see, I, well, I, there's an early project we did, um, like when when I was um, working out of the San Francisco studio, that's close to my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, we did this project together with this Brazilian organization, um, designing mm-hmm. an app that would help level the playing field basically for Brazilian kids. Um, so mm-hmm. we looked at um, digital games and diagnostics that would teach reading. Um, through through sort of games and and like, um, and like f- sort of fun ways of of learning the basics of reading, um, and it would also help mm-hmm. teachers uh, address learning gaps in the in the class and kind of keep track of how students were doing. 
Mm-hmm. So I think. Did you travel to Did you travel to Brazil? Yes, yes, for sure. So I think, like with all the sort of best projects um, at IDEO, or the ones that I that I really appreciated, the that a lot of the value was really added in the research phase. Uh, Immersion, you know, yeah. when we established, you know, together with these Brazilian educators, what the viable methods would be uh, of, you know, learning uh, through an app. Um, and so we mm-hmm. traveled um, for a few weeks to to visit schools, both more sort of where they had a lot of resource um, and a lot of teachers per, you know, per group of students and also schools in areas that had didn't have the that had more challenges in both socially and resource wise you know um and then talked to, to a lot of um professionals in the space as well mm-hmm. so I, i really liked that project because i think it taught me a lot about the importance of staying humble as well as a designer mm-hmm. uh, we worked a lot with uh, sacrificial concepts uh, coming up with ideas that we presented to to educators for example to get their feedback uh, and, and so on so it's very good mm-hmm. Did the school bought uh, the devices, basically? Um, no, so the, devi- the devices were all coming from the Brazilian government. So they were the ones who had invested in, okay. uh, mm-hmm. in, in technology for the classroom, but they didn't really have anything to put on these tablets that they had um, invested in. That's an, uh, that's an interesting point, I think, at the moment, where a lot of... Uh, programs they, they 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 think of the device as an as enabler first but then the second thought is about yeah. okay what are we actually doing <laughs> with the with the, the device right what actually content education content is actually yeah playing is uh, where we often people think about the hardware first but it's actually about the, the content so <laughs> yeah it's a good point yeah i think it's anyway a good direction but yeah any other personal highlights from your time at IDEO? um yeah i would say well some of the most memorable work i did out of Uh, London was really um, stuff that we did together with IKEA. Um, I found that really fascinating as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a really big organization uh, and very traditional in a sense um, because they're selling physical product, mm-hmm. uh, but they're trying to do a lot of new things. And, and you know, that's always that's always fascinating. So, um, yeah. <laughs> did you work together? I think I saw it um, on your website. I'm not sure on the kitchen interaction project. Right. Yeah. So that was that was one of the things that we did together with IKEA. Um, uh, that was mm-hmm. really interesting to to. And that was yeah. Uh, just going back to what we talked about before, like that was one of those kind of staging, uh, and like thinking through an exhibition design projects that I that I found really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it just becomes interesting as well. Uh, designing out, you know, you designing a space, filling it with with physical products uh, made to manifest a certain idea uh, or a certain concept and to sort of uh, drive home um, a, a, mm-hmm. a sort of um, a point of view, really, or an idea. Um, and then you're also doing interaction design in that context, like designing all of those bits together. I mean, that it's very luxurious and you don't get that opportunity often as a designer. I guess that's the compelling bit about doing an exhibition. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe after all your time at IDEO, what was your your biggest learning about what design can drive forward? Hmm. Well, I would say I would say like the power you have to to sort of also like help people along with in like with your process. So when you're working, when you're at a design consultancy, you're always working together with other organizations um, that you're doing work for, right? Mm-hmm. And I think in a lot of agencies you kind of take the brief and you go off and you produce something, you come back and present it. 
Mm-hmm. But at IDEO, um, I think a lot of the value is in mm-hmm. involving um, the clients in the process, uh, bringing them along. And so mm-hmm. part of what you do is always about educating the organization that you're working with um, in sort of how to produce value through design. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the, the kind of biggest, I guess, professional takeaway that I've had through mm-hmm. um, through the work there. It's really that kind of coaching um, and always kind of bring the team along for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And then after your time at IDEO, you moved from agency to corporate or let's say startup. <laughs> you moved to Spotify. Maybe you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe corporate now. Depends on how you see it. Yeah. <laughs> is Spotify still a startup or is it corporate? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been growing, I guess. Oh, yeah. So much. <laughs> maybe you can tell a little bit about your role and maybe also your motivation going right. on. Right. Yeah, it's 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 interesting with you trying to define what Spotify really is. Um, with someone who put out the tool the, just, um, the other week, um, like internally at Spotify, where you could, you know, just type in your name and you could find out what percentage of employees had been hired mm-hmm. after you. Um, interesting. At Spotify, because you know, at at the company that's growing at the pace that Spotify's growing, um, if you joined two years ago, like me, you're already uh, sort of old <laughs> at the company, mm-hmm. uh, which makes for a really sort of interesting and weird uh, culture as well. If if you're talking about culture, mm-hmm. but yeah, I the, you asked about um, sort of why I moved there, so. Um, I was looking to go back to Stockholm for personal reasons, really. Uh, it was my partner who had recently moved over. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was considering continuing uh, in design consulting, doing things similar to what I was doing at IDEO. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, I ended up at Spotify and that was an easy choice. It was it's very different from what I'd done earlier. Um, and I knew it would mean sort of stepping into a role that would be entirely digital versus at IDEO, I'd still been able to, you know, go a little bit in between and be involved in, in you know, physical products mm-hmm. as well and, and sort of bridge that and work a lot with service design. Um, but Spotify is very digital. Mm-hmm. So to some extent, it was kind of like starting from the beginning to learn, um, you know, learn the ropes at a product company as well. It's it's incredibly different from, from working at a design firm. Mm-hmm. Then... I think because coming to Stockholm meant I was moving back. I had I lived here before. Um, I wanted something to be new, so I chose to do something new in my professional life, and and you know decided to give Spotify mm-hmm. a go. So that's um, that's mm-hmm. yeah, a little over two years ago now. And what is your role at Spotify? Yeah, maybe you can tell a bit about the the products you work with. Or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I started I started working um, in a role with uh, focusing on Spotify's integrations with products. So everything we do with like mm-hmm. speakers, TVs, cars, etc. You know, we have a lot of mm-hmm. integrations mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of interfaces that are uh, owned by other companies. Yeah. Um, and so we have the whole department just looking at those kind of things. So that was quite a nice fit considering uh, my background, right? So mm-hmm. looking a lot at like physical devices and, and how Spotify would live in that um, ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then... Since a year back now, um, I work on the mobile experience instead. So what we call core experience. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm focusing on, on how we can make the, the podcast experience on Spotify the best it, it can be. So it's interesting being uh, on a podcast now, <laughs> seeing as I've been <laughs> working with podcasts uh, in, inter- like 
in our app for the past year. Mm -hmm. When you say you work in, first you worked in the integration uh, team, was that a design team? that kind of focused on that or was it a, a product team where you were the designer? Right. Yeah, you know, it's it's both, right? We, so we don't have, Spotify doesn't have a design department that sits and just kind of spits out designs. Mm -hmm. But all No central design department. Mm -hmm. mm, no central design department, right. So designers are always members of product teams mm -hmm. uh, and those product teams in turn own certain parts of the experience, right? Mm -hmm. So when I say I worked in that um, sort of part of the organization, it means... I worked with different teams um, that owned, for example, speakers, or um, I worked a bit on TV with that product team. But that means working together. You're off. You're often the the only designer. Um, if you're lucky, you get a design buddy. <laughs> but uh, but often it's like it's you. Uh, it's a product manager. Um, depending on the team, you have back end engineers. Uh, Uh, front-end engineers to different sort of um, balancing in different uh, you might have like you know two front-end engineers or you might have six uh, depending on how front-end heavy it is mm -hmm. and um, yeah how do you align on the the design of different touch points then if there's no central design team i mean yeah i mean yeah so when i say we don't have a central design team I, i'm talking about more like in terms of how we sit and how we function sit, okay mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah but um so there's not like an internal design studio if if got it you know what i mean mm -hmm. uh, yeah. so we still we do have a team a design team that is looking across for alignment's sake right mm -hmm. uh, and make sure that we all sort of um stay aligned mm -hmm. uh, but that's that's like a, a team that has that as their task their sole task so the the whole task of that team mm -hmm. is sort of um, um touch point alignment basically it's about um uh, mostly like so visual uh, alignment making sure that across all platforms you can recognize that this is a spotify uh, product um, they look at the language we use that make sure that we uh, we always use the same t tone of voice because that's also a very important part of, of product design yeah um mm -hmm. and so on so that's um that's sort of as close as you get to like I guess the central design team. Mm -hmm. um, and then you get them in at some uh, like checkpoints towards a project, for example, to get their to get their feedback, I guess. Exactly, yeah. So they get involved in different... They run their own projects developing, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the identity of Spotify. Yeah. And then they can also help other teams to make sure that we don't go completely nuts and create some new weird, you know, animation yeah. that doesn't exist anywhere else in the product. <laughs> Uh, so on, so mm -hmm. yeah. Interesting. And in, in terms of design culture, mm. with all the people doing design in different teams, uh, do you have a sort of uh, meet up, let's call it like this, or uh, occasion where you come out together? Mm, yeah. So um, we're big now. We're really. I can't. I will. <laughs> not even gonna give you a number because it's probably gonna be wrong about like how big the design team is but we are yeah, yeah. also based in in stockholm new york london you know multiple locations um but we do have something called design days uh which happens yearly and uh, uh -huh. and then we get to to all meet uh and hang out which is really great because we do end up doing a lot of um collaborations and stuff uh remotely it really helps you know having seen someone and met someone uh, in person uh, when you start uh, working on projects together. Yeah. Um, so, 
but yeah and then obviously we we stay connected um within one location as well so we do have a um a design operations team that help us stay connected and and sort of uh, make sure that we um <laughs> that we all play nicely together <laughs> yeah yeah when you I guess like most of the designers working on, let's say, the visual and what's visible. But if you consider the, uh, the discipline voice mm. experience, are they, do you have also, for example, voice interface designers? Mm -hmm. Designed experience in terms of the, the audio experience. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, um, that's part of um, becoming, I'm growing as a company um, and, and growing as a design team is that you do end up needing... Um, a lot more variety within the team mm -hmm. yeah right because starting out um spotify was on you know desktop and phone and it's just yeah. a couple of platforms and i think a lot of like mm -hmm. early on and with startups design is quite immature and, and 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 it's very focused on the on the visual end as you say right and then it's the bigger you get mm -hmm. uh the more sort of specialized you get as well so you, you still do have to start thinking about mm -hmm. Um, having the right tone of voice, uh, both uh, in writing and obviously um, when you start having like an actual voice of Spotify, like what is that, you know, and so on. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and it's a it's a challenge because we we often do um, sort of exist on other uh, platforms, like in a car, for example. And then then how do we um, how does Spotify's identity come across when um, it's on someone else's Mm -hmm. uh, within someone else's uh, experience, you know, that someone else's own. Yeah, it's interesting with sort of that market because the pricing around like different products of different companies are you not know, very similar, but then still users have very distinctive uh, preferences in terms of I want to use Spotify because that and that, or I want to use that and that service. And that's very much because the experience is so, is so important and mm -hmm. you know, people really, um, you know, maybe stick to a certain experience. Uh, a certain design if you want to say so absolutely and you you notice when as soon as you you know <laughs> if you work on the on the mobile experience for example um, and you reach millions and millions of users as soon as you um, as soon as you launch something new or you know introduce a change there will be people who are very upset about that <laughs> yeah. on on twitter and on reddit and and you know expert users who are um Who want it the way um, they've always had it so it's 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 a powerful feeling but it's also quite um, you know makes you quite nervous <laughs> yeah to introduce new things yeah maybe you can tell like building up on that maybe you can talk a little bit about the, the impact and importance of the role of design when it comes about you know designing hmm. basically the you know, future music consumption experiences yeah um well i think i mean i, I guess this goes for any industry really but um, I always find it hard to talk about, you know, design isolation when it's within such a big company. Yeah. Um, it used to, it used to be easier uh, being at a design firm, the big, you know, where design is the the whole focus. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that's a like a side of being, you know, humble as a designer. Is I think what working at Spotify has taught me is to, you know, acknowledge all the other discipline, the the role that all the other disciplines have in the process of innovation. Absolutely. It's not something that designers, you know, own or lead by themselves in any way. So, absolutely, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that said, there are ways of approaching innovation that I think are unique to design and that everyone in the company can learn from. So, 
uh, I think that's the most important impact that design can have, in fact, at a, at a big product company like Spotify. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, when you're working on, you know, initiating this strategic changes through design, the way I did a lot with IDEO and the clients we worked with there, um, you be, kind of become accustomed to always being part of that team that's driving, you know, that's the driving force behind innovative thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, you know, trying to push everyone in the partnering organization to approach things with this human-centered lens. But with, you know, at a company like Spotify, ideas can kind of come from wherever. You know, it can start from a tech capability or it can start from a business opportunity yeah, that someone uncovers. So then, you know, as a, child, as a designer, you start sort of running after the ball a bit late and then you try to just steer it in a more human and needs-based direction, mm-hmm. um, you know, for the benefit of the product really and to not make it fail because that side has been mm-hmm. overlooked, you know. Uh, so that's like a responsibility you see uh, for yourself at uh, Spotify then, I guess, right? Yeah, well, I like to think so um, because I think, you know, mm-hmm. in that kind of environment, at times it can be very much led by business needs or engineering capabilities um, oftentimes it's like a metric that your team is trying to push in a certain direction uh, for example because you want to try to make people use a feature uh, mm-hmm. and then I think the danger is that the design process becomes very iterative um, and it's this sort of step-by-step evolution that eventually leads to you know, creating weird monsters <laughs> uh, and so I, yeah I would say to me like the impact that we as designers can have um is to relentlessly sort of be the voice of the users and get other disciplines thinking in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's hard because, you know, I think to me, design thinking is not really a process so much as a mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about, you know, being staying open, staying optimistic, being generous, you know, building on others' ideas, all of these things that you, I'm sure you've heard about. Um, and, and, you know, you can't pick up a mindset like that just by, you know, clicking through a PowerPoint or reading yeah. an artist like sending an article to someone you have to you have to learn it through practice mm-hmm. yeah so that that's when it becomes really important to bring everyone along for the process i think i think that's really to me it's a core design skill because if you only if you only sort of focus on the execution part of design i think as a designer you risk becoming someone who's just coloring in um someone else's sort of ready-made drawings um Mm-hmm. You know, don't get me wrong, because like, I mean, there's a huge need for really high quality design execution at any product company. But I think we're selling ourselves a bit um, short if we say that, you know, that's all we can do or deliver as designers. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Great. Um, but then I guess you, I guess you asked about the music industry, really. And, <laughs> and then I kind of uh, shied away from that question. But uh, I guess what's unique for 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 yeah, you know, working with that creative industry is that we do design for two sides of the experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're designing for he- people who are looking to consume music and then we're mm-hmm. designing for creators as well, for the artists. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I mean, that's always an interesting thing for, for designers at Spotify as well and like in terms of the impact that we can have because that place is quite high and demands on the like synchronizing the teams, design teams that work on both those sides mm-hmm. um, to make sure that we design um, experience tests that uh, artists are interested in creating 
and that people are interested in consuming. Yeah. yeah, from the complexity, I guess it's almost like having two products, right? Because it's two different user journeys, and uh, mm-hmm. it is. Or some like a lot of the times, it's a it's it's one product, but it's two sides of it, right? Yeah, exactly. So you you have to make sure that because we're we're designing something, we're we're just making containers for for people to create into. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have to make sure that artists are actually and creators are actually interested in in creating that content and that there's an interest on the other side of 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 consuming it yeah exactly i think there's a lot of innovation and those and those are not the same you know and those are not the same designers working on those um two sides mm-hmm. so that's a that's a challenge staying staying sync yeah i think the, uh, also on the cre- especially on the creation part i think there's a lot of uh let's say design innovation happening in terms of you know democratizing for example podcast creation and kind of you know enabling people these tools i think there's a yeah as, uh, looking at the c- creation part i think there's also a lot of innovation mm-hmm. happening in the, in the industry yeah. for sure yeah yeah and that's i mean that's really interesting because you you can't really guide it as a designer yeah yeah if you're creating a um, a, a tool for creation, a, a yeah. creative tool. You're designing stage, right? Yeah, all you can do is like you put something in the world, out in the world, and then you see where, you know, what creators do, what, how they run with it. Mm-hmm. Either they go like, man, nah, can't yeah. really use this. This is not great. Or maybe they love it, but they use it in a completely different way that you in, than you mm. intended. It's, but the exactly. output is how they hack it. Yeah, right? they, they hack it for their needs and and the output. Uh, the output can be amazing. It's like better than anything you imagined. Um, mm-hmm. So I, it's it's a really fascinating area uh, to be working mm-hmm. in. As I said, you gave a very interesting talk at UX Tartu, and I think especially your points about the intersection of industrial and uh, interaction design were, were very interesting. Maybe you can outline that mm. uh, again, as especially maybe the example you gave around form follow service uh, in terms, for example, the, the speaker example, maybe right. something very interesting for the audience to oh, hear okay. about. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, and so in this talk that I did um, at UX Tardo, I think um, the, the sort of general theme of that talk was the, the tendency that we've been seeing in the past few years of how smartphones and connected products um, are making industrial design and interaction design come together again after having for a long time been you know, happening in silos. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that leads to, which is that you can kind of choose what form something takes. So you can, you know... Some things that have been physical for a very long time, forever, are now really well suited to become an app. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then other things that have, um, for the longest time, been locked behind the screen can then, you know, benefit from being extended into the physical world. Um, and so I think that the, um, the example that you mentioned there with the, with the speakers where, um, you know, that's one case with connected speakers where you can choose to manifest certain features if you so wish. So um, they're really built together with um, services backing them up. So you can have a physical switch that let you flip between playlists that you picked out yourself in an accompanying app, for example, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it really means that, and, and that's probably the reason, you know, that, that app and the fact that you can sync up your playlists to your speaker, that's probably the reason why you go out and buy it um, so the, you know, the service that you sell the product with that ends up informing what the product looks like in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but then obviously like the industrial design is, is just as important, maybe even more important because that's where the service manifests. 
Um, so yeah, I find that really interesting, and and it's like a development that I've uh, sort of been <laughs> been hoping to see. And I guess the more I talk about it, the closer to reality I can bring it, because <laughs> the more people the more people talk about things, the the truer they become. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe another yeah. great example for the audience who to um, learn about the example you gave about hardware motion and hinges in comparison to digital elements. Maybe you can outline that as well. Yes, I think. Um, What's interesting for designers when it comes to this development, or what's interesting to think about really for designers, is that um, a lot of the um, the the principles, the underlying principles for design, are really the same, mm-hmm. right? So whether you're coming from industrial design or interaction design, you are going to run into you know the more we see of this, um, the the more you're going to run into projects where you where you do work both ends or you do come in contact with the other discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you can kind of rest assured that the same principles apply. And so one of those examples that I that I had was uh, was around hinges and how, I guess that's one of the more <laughs> sort of philosophical examples, but um, it's true that like you look to hinges in, in, um, in physical design Uh, they're great enablers of feature, but they also sort of every hinge you introduce um, is a possible, you know, point where things risk breaking, um, mm-hmm. uh, which you kind of know if you've if you've been designing for a while that, it, you know, things that fall together are not not often like, you know, the best <laughs> products <laughs> to use, even though they're very convenient. Yeah. Um, And the same thing kind of applies in, in digital design in that, in that we design a lot of um, sort of in-betweens. Um, and if you, if you do that well, and if you design those sort of interaction hinges well, um, then products become really delightful and amazing to use. Um, but equally, it's, like a, it's a great way of breaking a product is to fail in those hinge experiences. Mm-hmm. I think I mean in in interaction design the way you usually talk about this is um, in terms of seamful design mm-hmm. um, yep. is the concept that's usually um, sort of referred for this. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to put a link of your talk at UXTATO on the description also. I think it might be interesting for, to the audience maybe to learn also some of the other examples you gave. The the sneaker example comes into my mind, mm. but maybe uh, going forward. Uh, I mean, you graduated in 2014, but um, you know you got uh, quite a bit of experience in the industry. So maybe um, you know the industry is moving fast. So maybe did you saw interaction design at large maybe also evolving already in your career? And maybe where do you see it um, going forward in the future? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the, the way I, I sort of outtraced things in the talk, um, it starts already in 2005 when I sort of started my industrial design um, path. Mm-hmm. There you can see a lot of development. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I, can, I guess the, the, the sort of irony or the takeaway from mm. the talk I did is that I've always been like a little bit behind. <laughs> Kind of, pre-iPhone. Yeah, I mean, that was pre-iPhone and I, I sort of got into design not knowing uh, what what was going to happen. Like, I mean, I guess no one really knows what's going to happen, but I, I feel like I've always been a bit late on the ball with like, oh, wait, like this is maybe not what I want to do. I want to, you know, do interaction design instead and so on. And then there's always like or, already like so many interesting things happening in that area. Um, what was the question again? <laughs> How I see it evolving? <laughs> I mean, yeah. How do you see? How do you uh, saw and see it evolving yeah. in the future? I mean, I guess I guess when I started uh, or when I got into interaction design, um, 
that was when when um the mobile phone was like all the rage like the smartphone was just this like one uh, product that ruled and i think that is um if it hasn't changed already it's about to change and and you know it's going to be very interesting to see what the next paradigm is going to be because that's smartphone has been like the thing for 10 years now and i i think it must or will change um Mm-hmm. Either the phones themselves will change somehow, um, and apps will no longer be like the main way of interacting with the phone, um, or we'll look to another type of device um, in in the near future. Um, but I think I think that's the like the maturity of the of the smartphone is the, like the biggest sort of uh, thing that I've been able to see. Um, just looking back like ten years, mm-hmm. I really hope that you know the reason I went into interaction design was not really to just design for, you know, this glowing rectangle. That was not sort of mm-hmm. um, what I was hoping for. Intention. <laughs> I was always hoping to be able to combine it with physical design and, and sort of be, mm-hmm. um, I guess, um, I wouldn't call it a new type of designer, but the type of designer that would um, have one, one leg in each world um, mm-hmm. and, and sort of bridge across that. Um, and so I'm still sort of waiting for that because I don't think we've quite seen that yet happen, uh, that these two things are designed in tandem. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's like in, <laughs> it's like the ideal state that, um, I'm hoping for and that I think it's, it's happening on small projects and on, on sort of, um, you see it at design schools, you've seen it at smaller design studios for, for many years, but it hasn't become mainstream mm-hmm. yet and no bigger product companies um, are really like su- successfully doing that yet. Um, and there's still way too much of, um, you know, we do the physical product first and then we design for the screen that sits on that device or for, you know, the little knob that you're going to turn or whatever. It's, it's like, it's not, it doesn't happen as it should mm-hmm. um, sort of to, uh, two things at once. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I guess you see more of it, but not enough. So that's what my hope would be, I guess, which you haven't asked for. But I'm, now I'm telling <laughs> you my hope is <laughs> for the next 10 years is that that's going to be um, the main thing that drives design and that um, designers are going to adopt more and more mm-hmm. um, is to, to always have to think about these two things uh, as one. Mm-hmm. Because it is one experience in the end. Yep. And that's the mm-hmm. way it should be designed. Mm-hmm. Maybe as a last question, what would be your advice for a young industrial design <laughs> student and then uh, also for a young interaction design student? <laughs> um, I don't know. I, like I was saying, I don't know if I'm the best um, suited at giving advice since I've been like one step behind. Like behind. <laughs> But um, I think I think for industrial designers, like I think I mentioned this in my talk as well, is that... Um, You just have to, you're not going to be able to avoid um, this exposure to uh, UX or interaction design. So you um, you better stay curious and, and become good at understanding complex systems, um, which is not something that industrial design schools uh, traditionally teach um, because there's so much else that you need to learn, mm-hmm. so many other skills, right? But but products extend like to bigger and bigger extent becomes part of different types of infrastructures and 
Um, and it doesn't really, you know, the story doesn't end when the product leaves the factory mm-hmm. uh, anymore. So it's, it's going to become part of, you know, different types of complex service systems that you're going to need to understand and design for. Um, so I guess the advice is really to become better at sort of grasping those systems uh, that you're designing for uh, and think about that layer of service that's always going to be there in the future. Um, you know? mm-hmm. And then for, for interaction design, uh, or people who come into UX, I think that's even harder to advise for because um, people are streaming into that mm-hmm. field from so many different places right now. Uh, and I think... Um, my tribe of you know people who have worked in industrial design and then go over to do UX were a very small group. Yeah, and a lot of people are coming from you know computer science and so on. Um, mm-hmm. But I think generally, for for that exact reason that people are coming from you know graphic design or 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 computer science, um, there are more and more like specialized interaction design programs today as well. Yeah. If you're coming, if you're coming from more of a, a flat world, so to speak, um, I think it's it's wise to start thinking about like you know, embracing these you know possibilities that go outside of the screen, the physical uh, physical possibilities of what you design. You know, start questioning why everything needs to be display based. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's going to seem like a very old way, old school way of thinking um, in just a few years to, you know, oh, we need to, we need to interact with this. So let's you just plop it on the screen, uh, put some buttons there and we're done. You know, that's going to feel like mm-hmm. very old fashioned. Very narrow minded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very old fashioned very soon. Uh, so, you know, we need to sort of dare to... Um, you know, engage more senses, more of our human senses mm-hmm. uh, in interactions. That's what you can learn from inter- industrial design. Yep. All right, Siri, that was great. Um, thanks for sharing all your knowledge. <laughs> thanks for thanks for having me on, on your show. It yeah, was a pleasure. Thank thanks. you. <laughs> that was the episode. If you want to give us feedback on the podcast, have something to contribute to the next episode, or just want to get in touch, feel free to connect with us either on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram messages, or simply via the designdrives.org website. We love to hear from you.